morning is Palm Sunday, and it kind of marks a, a, a very important part in Jesus' ministry and in his life. So we're going to celebrate that, and we're also going to take a little bit out of that and uh, see if we can draw some truths and some comfort for us as a church. So if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open them up to uh, the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 21. And we're going to be reading starting in verse 1 uh, and going, um, going down to verse 11. I actually changed the text last minute, so I don't have it written down. So I'll pray really quickly, and then, uh, and then we'll get to this part of, the, part of the story. Father God, thank you for this church. Thank you for these people in this place. I pray that as the next weeks and months unfold, you would guide them in wisdom as to what the appropriate actions are, as to what we ought to do and what we should do to raise your profile, to give you glory, to be good witnesses for you in this town. Help us this morning as we get into an, an interesting part of Jesus' life, as we learn about what he did, and as we learn about uh, how he did it and what that means for us. Be with me this morning as I speak. Help me to stay calm. And help me to speak the words that you would have me speak. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So Mark 20, or sorry, Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and sat on them, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So Jesus' triumphal entry is, is one of the happiest parts of the Gospels. It's one of the greatest parts of the Gospels. It's, it's, it's the little snippet, it's the little moment when we see Christ in his glory, when we, when, when, when we see him receiving from the crowd what is due to him. We, we don't see it often in Scripture. All, all, all too often we see... The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and that crowd kind of giving him a hard time. But, but here in this little moment, we, we see Christ as he ought to be seen, exalted and, and acclaimed and receiving glory from the crowd around him. And that's kind of the, the, the typical Palm Sunday message, this, this seeing Jesus exalted. But this is not a typical Palm Sunday for us. 
So I want to focus this morning a little bit on the first, the first few verses, on, on what Jesus says to his disciples, kind of on verse 2 and verse 6, if I can. So Jesus says to his they're, they're coming into Jerusalem. It's the last time Jesus is going to see the city before his death. And he says to, to his disciples, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied. And a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. And we, we read in the other accounts that that does happen. Someone does kind of stop them and, hey, what are you doing taking my donkey and my colt? And they explain and that's okay. Just like Jesus said it would be. Now, by this point, Jesus has been with his disciples for about three years. And so... What we see in verse 6 is, you know, the disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. Because they knew by that. I mean, you get into the mind of the 12 at this point, And you've, you've got to think that this is a strange request. Right? Like, this is a weird, like, we're coming to, to Jerusalem. We've walked all this way. We always walk. We've been walking the whole time. We're, we're walking into Jerusalem. I'm going to stop here at the outskirts of the town. And, and you guys go in there. Go to the next you know, house over. There's a donkey there. Grab the donkey. Bring it here. If anyone asks you what, what you're doing, just say the master needs it. And that'll be fine. And then I'll sit on the donkey and we'll finish our trip into Jerusalem. Like, that's a strange request, right? Like, that's weird. Like, if I'm... If I'm carpooling with someone and we get close to St. Catharines or we get close to Cambridge or wherever we're going and I turn to Cody and I say, let's pull over here. I need you to go into, walk into town a bit, uh, borrow a car without asking someone, bring it back and we'll drive that car. Like, that's a strange request, right? It's a weird thing to do. And what we see in verse 6 is because the disciples are kind of accustomed to some of Jesus' stranger requests, uh, they just do it. Because they're like, okay, I'll do what you've asked. I don't know why. I don't know what you're, what you're, what you're getting at here. I don't know what the, what the point is, but I'll do what you've asked. Now, some of them, I mean, some of them may have picked up on, like I'm guessing of the 12, maybe Peter kind of was picking up on, there's something about a prophet Behold, your king is coming, humble, not on a donkey. That may have crossed some of their minds, but I mean, most of these guys were blue-collar guys. I don't think all of them knew, oh, this is, this is a prophecy. This is the end. This is, this. I don't think they picked up on it. Now, this happened to the disciples a lot, these, these strange requests of Jesus, right? Um, we're surrounded by a crowd. Send them away so that they can go and get food. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. What do you got? Use that. Well, this isn't going to be enough. Just feed them. Okay. And it works. Jesus forgives sin. And go, uh, your sins are forgiven because your friends brought you all the way here on a mat, cut a hole in this guy's roof, and dropped you down so that I could heal your paralysis. But no, I'm going to forgive your sins and then tell you to get up and walk. You know, uh, just a few, a little while later, um, after they're in Jerusalem for a while, Jesus, you know, he's gathered with his followers, and and hey guys, let me wash your feet. But you're the 
you're the you're you're the teacher, you're the rabbi, you're the Messiah, you're the Lord, you're the King. You're going to wash our feet? No, no, no. We're going to no, no, guys. This has to happen. Let me wash your feet. Okay. And this morning, go into the next town over and get me a colt that I can ride this last kilometer or two on, however long it was. The disciples are accustomed to following Christ, doing what he asked without an explanation forthcoming, without knowing the point, without knowing the purpose. More often than not, he told them afterwards, but that's not the point of obedience, right? The point of obedience is not knowing and being faithful to God and doing it anyway. That's what the disciples, by this point, had learned to do. Go get me a colt. Okay. The last week of Jesus' life, this is one of the last things he did before Easter, and he did it to fulfill prophecy. Jesus is being faithful. We see later in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus is, is, doesn't desire this. Right? Take this cup from me. If there's any other way, do it. Do that. But I'm faithful and I'll do what you ask. It's funny, and, I'm, and I, don't wanna, I, I don't want this to come out wrong. But because I'm off script, sometimes that happens. This morning, I'm not in a completely dissimilar position. It's my last Sunday, as far as I know. It may not be. It may be. That's still all up, up in the air. But this is my last week, as far as I know. And as important as the last things Jesus did in his ministry during that last week, during Holy Week, especially during the triumphal entry and, and Palm Sunday, I've been wrestling since last Sunday, with what, what do I say this morning? What do I say to you after three years? How do I, how do I end this? And there's something that, that has been on my heart for years. Before I've been here, and I'm sure it'll stay after I've left. What do healthy churches do? How do healthy churches behave? How do healthy churches act? And it's not one of those topics that scripture is silent on. There's a, there's a word in the Greek that occurs about a hundred times in the New Testament in 94 different verses and, and 47 of those usages um, apply as instructions directly to the church most of them come from Paul uh, and, and, and Tim and Colin are here. So if I get the Greek wrong, forgive me. I'm rusty. Um, Alelon is the Greek word. It's, it's one another. And anytime you see that verb, that, those two words together, it's two words in English, one another. Anytime you see that expression in your Bibles, it's that word, alelon. And 47 of the usages are instructions to the church. How is the church to behave? What is the church? What is the purpose of the church? So if I only have one more Sunday with you, 
I want to go through those. Because we've been talking as a church about why we are where we are. Where, where we are. Why are we here? What's going on? Why, why isn't this church reaching new people? Why haven't we seen baptisms and, and new birth in a while? That's a hard question that we've been asking ourselves for a long time, and especially recently. So we're going to do something a little different. We're going to, we're going to bounce around the Bible a little bit this morning. And we're not going to stop in all of them because there's, I mean, there's 47. So we're just going to go through and see, see what these words are, what these instructions to us are. And then if you want the list, because it's a long list, if you want the list, I can, I can make you a copy. So the first third of these commands, these one another commands, the first third of them is unity. They have to do with church unity and unity amongst believers. First one that, we're, that we look at is Mark chapter 9. Be at peace with one another. Be at peace with one another. That was a huge, huge, huge part of my life. My early life as, as a believer, learning to be at peace with one another. Elsewhere, Paul says, um, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with those around you, both those inside and outside of the church. That verse is what caused me to begin to reconcile with my father. And here, Mark tells us to be at peace with one another. John chapter 6, don't grumble among one another. Be united. Don't grumble. Don't bicker. Deal with things as they come up. Romans 12 and Romans 15 both say this one. Be of the same mind with one another. Agree with each other. Agree with each other. Get there through prayer. Get there in faith. Get there um, through discussion. Open, honest discussion. But at the end of the day, agree with one another. A couple of verses later in Romans, accept one another. Even if you don't agree, accept one another. Care for one another. Wait for one another before beginning the Lord's Supper. That's 1 Corinthians 11. Paul's addressing a specific problem, but it's wait for one another. Galatians 5, don't bite, devour, and consume one another. He's, he's being metaphorical. Just don't eat each other up. Be united. A couple of verses later, don't boastfully challenge or envy one another. Be united in love for one another. Gently, patiently tolerate one another. Ephesians 4. Right? I don't agree with everything Chad says or everything Jay says, and they don't agree with everything I say, but we are to patiently and gently tolerate and put up with those disagreements. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving to one another. Be quick to forgive. Be quick to forgive. Colossians 3, bear with and forgive one another. That one's so important, he said it twice. Two different books. Seek the good of one another and don't repay evil for evil. That's First Thessalonians. So this idea of, of why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be burnt? 
Seek the good of one another. Don't repay evil for evil. Love your enemies. Pray for your enemies and heap burning coals on their heads. Love that verse too. James 4, don't complain against one another. That doesn't mean don't air your grievances and don't, if I've got a problem with Jay, I'm going to talk to him about it and say, look, I've got a problem with this thing you said or how you said it or this thing you did or how you did it. Don't, not that, but don't complain. It means if I've got a problem with Jay, I'm going to come to him with the problem and say, here's the problem I've got, here's the solution I've got. And sometimes that, that solution is just as simple as I forgive you or can you forgive me? But don't, don't complain. Don't just talk to other people about a problem you've got with someone else. Talk to them. James 5 is confess sin to one another. This is hard, right? No one likes to confess sin. Here's a sin I've done. Here's a sin I've done. Could you forgive me of that? In the last three years, I haven't been the best pastor. Not for this church. I'm, I'm, I'm wired differently. Some of the things this church needs, I'm not made for. And I think conversely, I mean, this church hasn't been the right church for me as well. I mean, some of the things that you expect of a pastor, I don't believe a pastor should do. And we've had those conversations at the board for three years. So let me confess that sin to you that I, 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 I haven't gone far enough out of my comfort zone at times. For your good and for God's glory. And ask you to forgive me of that. Another third of these instructions that, that, that come with the word, with one another, is, is just love. There's not as many examples because one of them is very, very simple and it appears in a whole lot of scriptures. John 13 and 15, Romans 13, 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 Peter 1, John 3, 4, oh, sorry, 1 John 3 and 4, uh, and 2 John 5. Love one another. Love one another. Have a genuine love for one another. Have a genuine care for one another. Galatians 5. Through love, serve one another. Give of your time. Give of your talents. Give of your treasure. Serve one another. Someone's sick. Go visit them. Someone comes home and is sick, bring them a casserole. That's that's the Baptist thing to do, right? Casserole. Ephesians 4, in love tolerate one another. There's that tolerance again. Tolerance is is a tricky word today, right? Tolerance today means I agree with you. That's not what the word actually means. What tolerance actually means is I disagree with you, but that's okay. I disagree with you, but we can still be in a relationship. We can still be in community together. That's what tolerance means. I tolerate you. I put up with you, even though I think you're wrong, (laughs) even if you think I'm wrong. That's what tolerance is. So in love, tolerate one another. 1 Peter 5, greet one another with a kiss of love. We've talked about that before, how that's, you know, don't get hung up on the kiss of love thing. And if any of you try to, you know, right? But greet one another in love with a, with a display of affection, with a hug, with a handshake, something that's culturally appropriate. If you're in Turkey, go ahead. 
Romans 12, be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted. You go from tolerate to be devoted. Serve one another. Love one another. Seek out what you can do for each other in love. Another 15% or so of, of these alone commands are about humility. And these are hard to take, some of them. Romans 12, give preference to one another in love. Who's more important, you or me? You. And if you ask that question, the answer is also you. In love. And if that one's not clear enough, Philippians 2, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Who's more important than you, everyone else in the church? Who's more important than me, anyone else in the church? Galatians 5, serve one another. John 13, wash one another's feet. Romans 12, don't be haughty, be of the same mind. There's that humility, right? If you love one another, even if you disagree, you will change your mind in love to be united. And if everyone did that, we'd have fewer disagreements. Be subject to one another. Be available for one another. Ephesians 5. Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. That's difficult, right? To clothe yourself in you, to be humble, to humble yourself in front of someone else is, is difficult. The rest of them aren't really in a category to themselves. Uh, Romans 14, don't judge one another. Don't put a stumbling block in a brother's way. So this, this idea of the weaker brother, someone who's not quite where you are in faith, someone who's younger than where you are in faith, you exercise your freedom in Christ to do something that perhaps they struggled with in the past, you go down to their level, to their faith. Many of you know I'm, I'm not a teetotaler, and I have good reasons for that. But if I'm in the room, or I'm having lunch, or I'm having dinner with a teetotaler, I don't drink either, because I don't want to put a stumbling block in front of their faith. If I'm having lunch with an alcoholic, I don't drink, because I don't want to put a stumbling block in front of them. So you're always, um, you're always humbling yourself to someone else's standards, even if there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. Husbands and wives, don't deprive one another, the word's in there, of physical intimacy. We've talked about this idea before in the past. My body does not belong to me, it belongs to my wife, and my wife's body doesn't belong to her, it belongs to me. So we don't deprive one another of that intimacy. can be as simple as a cuddle when I need it, when she needs it. You can go all the way up to physical intimacy. Bear one another's burdens. I've had a crash course in this in the last two weeks, just in my own life, not here. 
I've had this burden on my heart of what's been happening here and what do I do next and where do I go from here? And a, a very good friend of mine has been going through um, a different burden, but we've been there for each other. We've leaned on each other. And I'll tell you, it's having the ability to do that, to bear a burden with someone else. You help them carry their load and they help you carry your load. You would think that it would be heavier for both of you because on top of what you're dealing with, you're helping someone deal with what they're dealing with, but it ends up being lighter for both of you. I can tell you that from experience this week. It's true. Bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 4, speak truth to one another. Don't lie. Don't make yourself seem better. Don't withhold Truth, don't withhold things to make your argument sound better. Just, just be honest. Just speak truth. If that's not clear enough, that's Ephesians 4. If that's not clear enough, Colossians 3. Uh, don't lie to one another. Speak the truth. Even if the truth hurts, because Scripture tells us that the, the wounds of a friend are what? Faithful. Wounds of a friend are faithful. There's a couple of times in my own life where I've had to wound a friend. I've had to tell him a hard truth. I've had to hold my breath and, and just spit it out and say, look, I'm telling you this because you're flat out wrong and I love you and it's hard, but I'm your friend and I have to tell you this because you're wrong and it's dangerous to be wrong right now. And sometimes that goes well and sometimes it doesn't. But I've got to trust that the wounds of a friend are faithful. And a couple of times that's happened to me. One of the gentlest men I've ever met, a couple of summers ago, one of the, one of the, 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 one of the best people I know called me out on something and just said, no, man, you're, you're being difficult, you're being rebellious, you're being a jerk. And I was so surprised that this guy would ever do that to me, would ever say that to me, would, would ever assert himself like that that my reaction originally was, okay, i got to be wrong because he never talks like this. And he was right. Because the wounds of a friend are faithful. He wants my good and I want his good. Comfort one another concerning the resurrection. I love First Thessalonians sometimes. Just the depth. Comfort one another concerning the resurrection. This life is is temporary. It's temporary. There is a resurrection. We're going to celebrate it next week. And that resurrection has an implication, not just for our next life, but for how we live this one, for what we do today and how we do it and why we do it. So when you're in darkness, when you're in the depths of despair, the best thing you can use to comfort one another is the resurrection. Encourage and build up one another. Build each other up. When you speak to each other, say things that are encouraging and that will lift up your brother, will lift up your sister to become more like Christ or to strive to want to become more like Christ. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. I love this one stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's Hebrews 10. Outdo each other in service. Right? Make a game of it. 
Love people, love your community, and then dare your brother to do it better than you. Not in, a, not in an adversarial way, but let's just out-love this town. Let's just out-love one another. James 5, pray for one another. How simple is that? Pray for one another. And not just the organ roll, right? Everyone's heard of the organ roll? When we pray for people, we, we pray for so-and-so's kidney and so-and-so's heart and so-and-so's stomach problems. Like That's good. By all means, pray for those things. We have a big, big God who can handle that. But pray for one another's souls. Pray for one another's spirits. Pray for one another's struggles. One of the things I've been very blessed with in the last... How long have we been doing it, Jay? A year? Did we go, go, go back there? About, for the last year or so... The deacons and I in the morning will go in the back and we'll pray before the service and we'll pray for the service and we'll pray for the message and we'll pray for the sermon. And, but before, and this is why it goes on so long. And I think, I think every one of you knows that some Sundays we start late because we're still back there praying. We talk to one another. How's your heart? Where are you at? What are you worried about? What are you concerned about? Um, you know... All, at some point in the last year, all of our wives have been pregnant. So how's your wife doing? How are you doing? How's that going at home with a pregnant wife? You guys know how it is. We pray for one another. And not just, not just the simple things like un, un, in uncertainty about jobs and, and you know, where we're going and what's happening next and, and that kind of thing. But we pray for this church. We pray that the Spirit would move, that God would move, and that we'd just be along for the ride and witnesses to his glory and his majesty and his dominion. That's what we do back there. And sometimes we're late because we pray for a long time. Sometimes we're late because I talk about baseball too long. But we pray for you guys. And that's not going to stop. And I know that in the next few weeks and months, there's going to be a lot of guests that are going to be speaking up here. And Jay, you're, you're bearing the brunt of it because Chad's gone for the next two weeks at least. So don't stop. Next week, grab Tim and go back there. That can't stop. The last one is this. It's First Peter 4. Be hospitable to one another. Now this isn't be hospitable to everyone else, which you should be. But be hospitable to one another. And I know that it's difficult in some ways to live this one out in our own church because so many of us are related. So hospitality is kind of falls to the wayside of we're family and we hang out. But be hospitable. Intentionally have each other over to your house. Intentionally invite people over to have lunch. I mean, goodness, Cole and Mary, you guys are participating in a family ritual that we have after the service. They're going to come over and I'm going to make grilled cheese. It's not a glamorous lunch, but it's what we do on Sundays. I'm looking forward to having you guys. Be hospitable to one another. Don't just have lunch with family. Talk about your faith. Talk about where you're at. Talk about what you're doing. Talk about how how you can serve one another in prayer above all else. And in real, tangible ways as well. 
I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people the last three years, inside this church and outside this church, about what this church is. And a lot of conversations have been had in the last few weeks within our own little, little group of, of why is it that we're not attracting people? And why is it that people come and don't stay for whatever reason? And one of the most common answers I've heard, both from within this church and from outside of this church, and it's not going to be easy to hear, and I'm sorry, but wounds from a friend are faithful. We're not friendly. That's it. We're not friendly. And I know we try. I've seen new people walk in the door, and I've, and I've seen them get swarmed by a handful of you. And I've seen you be friendly. But I think once people get to know us, they see that we're just not doing all of these things. We're not doing the one another's. We're not living them out as a church. And I know that's hard to hear. It's hard to say. <laughs> but I've got, I've got one little note in my corner, in my page here. It's like the first thing I wrote when I started to put these notes down. Be honest. I want to be honest with you. I think if we start doing all of these things, and not perfectly, I mean, no church does these. I mean, this is, I mean, this is, I mean, look at this. That's a huge number of things to do, right? huge number of commands from Christ and from Paul about what the church is meant to do and how we are meant to do it. We do it together as a unit. So I'm not saying we have to be perfect, but we have to grow in these things. We have to pray that God would give us the grace to do these things, and then we have to put the effort in to do it. It's not going to be easy, and it's going to take a long time, but it's got to start soon it's got to start today it's got to start yesterday because the health of this church is at stake and more than that the witness of christ is at stake we are ambassadors of the lord in eganville and the message that we're hearing from eganville is that we're not friendly I don't think not friendly is something anyone ever said about Jesus. I could double check. But I'm pretty sure that's not an accusation he ever dealt with. Too friendly, maybe. Never not friendly. I want to keep talking because I don't want to get down. I've had the great privilege of going through this book with you for three years. <laughs> and we only scratched the surface. I mean, come on. We've, we've gone through 1 Corinthians, uh, Nehemiah, Mark, <coughs> uh, about half of James, uh, what else? 1 John, Habakkuk. Uh, there's a lot more to this book than what we've gone through together. And whoever stands here, 
for the next few months or for the next however long. My prayer is that they love this book as much as I do. And that they love you as much as I do. But more than anything, any pastor worth his salt wants you to love this book more than he does. And wants you to love the Lord more than he does. And wants you to serve the Lord and see the fruit of the harvest more than he does. And any pastor worth his salt loves those things a lot. So at the end of the day, my prayer for you is that that's where you would be. And if you're not there, that's where you would get to.